the volume. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. And we have a really good guest for you this week. Jim Lampley, the Hall of Fame boxing broadcaster. He has been out of the game since December of 2018 when HBO got out of the boxing business. He will be back on the mic on June 19th as part of the Triller broadcast team calling the Teofimo Lopez George Cambosis fights. My first chance to catch up with Jim since HBO Boxing came to an end. So we'll talk a little bit about that, but what he's been doing for the last two and a half years, uh, what he thinks about the state of boxing right now, being part of Triller's broadcast team. Triller, of course, doing some different things in the boxing space, that and much more with the great Jim Lampley. As always, best way to support this podcast, subscribe, rate, review. It's simple. It's easy. It's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right. On to the show. All right. Jim Lampley is the longtime voice of boxing over at HBO on June 19th. He'll be back on the mic this time with Triller calling the Teofimo Lopez, George Cambosis lightweight title fight. And Jim joins me here on the show. Hi, Jim. Hello, Chris. How are you? Welcome back, my friend. Thank you very much. I, I uh, didn't want to leave you with the uh, burden of trying to cover the whole sport alone. Uh, <laughs> so I, I thought maybe I'd add my voice to that uh, excellent frame of reference you've been providing in your telecasts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> now we're off to the races. Yes, I, I am a, a one-man band, Jim, these days, just uh, trying to pull boxing along, right? They just... Well, you know, I mean, I I think when I first knew you, the primary focus was basketball and you were 
getting more current with boxing. And now, you know, you're a uh, key element on one of the biggest telecasts uh, in the sport. Uh, and it seems to me still spending a lot of time covering basketball, but maybe just as much covering boxing. And that's a, a great addition to our sport. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Like you, you know, you started out in other sports too, right? I mean, you were like, we've talked about this before, the original sideline reporter. Well, so. I was the original sideline reporter. I was the first person along with a guy named Don Tollefson from Stanford. I was the first person ever to appear on the sideline of a football game with a camera and a microphone. It, uh, it's amusing to me that there's a, a whole generation or several generations of people out there in America who've never seen a football game without somebody on the sideline with a, a camera and a microphone. And uh, it might be hard for them to imagine how much upheaval was involved in the original introduction uh, of that idea. And then because of my long genesis at ABC Sports and ultimately CBS and NBC and uh, all the Olympics I went to, et cetera, it's pretty difficult to name a sport that I have not at some point covered, including wrist wrestling, including log rolling, including uh, Oriental world of self-defense, including uh, all the other weirdo sports events on wide world that I could spend the rest of the day naming. Uh, but, you know, my focus for a long time was football and Olympic sports like swimming and track and field. And ironically, uh, in 1986 at ABC Sports, a uh, newly installed chief executive at the sports division assigned me to boxing as a vehicle for trying to get rid of me because he was pretty convinced that I would be allergic to boxing and boxing would be allergic to me. And, uh, and he could embarrass me mightily enough by putting me on the ABC boxing telecast that it would uh, bring an end to my arc at that particular network. And they had just signed a contract with a 19 year old heavyweight from upstate New York, whose name was Mike Tyson. Uh, and Tyson became of course, must see television in all of his early appearances on ABC. And, and I was sort of off and running as a, uh, a boxing blow-by-blow -blow commentator. And I did have a little bit of background for it. Uh, my mother sat me down when I was six years old uh, and told me to sit still in front of the television set and watch Sugar Ray Robinson against Bobo Olson. It's their second fight. Uh, everything you need to know about boxing, you're going to learn from watching Robinson and listening to Don Dunphy. So I can still remember that experience to this day. And then five years later, I saw Cassius Clay at the Rome Olympics. And of course, I come from an entire generation of people uh, for whom it's a cliche to say that Cassius Clay, later Muhammad Ali, brought us into boxing. Because of course he did. He was the premier American exhibitionist of his time. He was compelling in every way. Uh, and he became my all-time hero. So I always, I had a, a currency and a background in boxing and uh, I wasn't completely ill-equipped to uh, do it. And it's been a tremendous privilege to be calling fights ever since, except for the two and a half year interruption that uh, I've just experienced. So let's talk about those two and a half years. Uh, December, 2018, HBO's last fight. What did you think about your future after that fight? Um. I thought that my future was questionable in terms of television sports commentary. I had already worked at 
all three major networks. Uh, I had not worked at Fox, but I didn't think that was going to happen. They, you know, they at that time weren't really doing any boxing matches. I had become pretty much defined by my boxing experience, regardless of all the other things uh, I had done. So I uh, sort of lectured myself to accept that this was more than likely the uh, end of the road. And oh, by the way, you know, at at that time, it's 2018. I've I've been on network television for 44 years. You don't you don't ask for a longer stint than that at the bar. <laughs> you know, I mean, once you've been at the bar for four or five days, you can probably leave. Uh, and and it sort of felt that way uh, to me. But of course, I never stopped watching boxing. Uh, I paid attention to the various telecasts that have come into the arena uh and um uh, and i never lost the inner sense that you know i can still see fights uh in the way that i was trained to see them and maybe something would come along and uh and it did and and what was really exciting to me and tempting to me about the thriller offer was that the first main event i would cover uh, would involve Teofimo Lopez. I spent years, as you know, articulating on HBO the rise of Vasily Lomachenko from greatest amateur fighter of all time in the eyes of many people to uh, greatest pound for pound fighter in the world. So to watch Teofimo take him apart uh, as easily as he did back in October made me very interested and excited about okay, what's going to happen to this young man's future? Uh, and, and so when Triller came along and said, the first fight you'll call if you take the deal is Teofimo Lopez, I said, wow, legitimacy. Uh, that, that fits because that's the kind of fight and the kind of fighter that I want to be calling. So, you know, the last couple of years, you know, you, know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I had heard people had been talking to you a little bit about, coming back, doing some, doing fights for different networks. I mean, why was the Triller opportunity the right one for you? Uh, they, they made it very clear that they were aggressively and sincerely interested in uh, making a deal with me that would keep me on the air with them for uh, as long as I feel I can do it and want to do it. They made that very, very uh, clear and sincere in their approach. Um, you know, that you, you always like to be rewarded. They, uh, they provided rewards. And, uh, and again, Teofimo as a, as a starting point, uh, you, you know, you're, you're starting with the guy who very decisively beat the best fighter in the world. That's an interesting subject. What's, uh, you know, what's your understanding of what Triller is trying to be because it's kind of a bit of an unknown. They start off in kind of the exhibition business with the Mike Tyson fight. Now they're clearly getting into legitimate boxing. What's your understanding of what they want to be? Well, first of all, uh, they don't delude themselves with the notion that boxing can now achieve a new beachhead with a uh, broad, diverse, younger audience. The younger audience doesn't exactly leap toward an embrace of this sport. It's, it's more of a sport for traditionalists, for 
fans who inherited their attention to boxing from their fathers and their grandfathers. Uh, and, uh, and it's pretty well defined in terms of the ethnic appeal. Oh yes, it's important to the Hispanic community. It's important to the black community. Uh, but there are quite a lot of uh, white boxing fans. And uh, I think Churlo sees that and understands that. Right now, they seem to be uh, kind of trying to be all things to all audiences, you know, with a, a hip hop element, with uh, various entertainment related people uh, on the show. Uh, I understand that. We'll see how it works over a period of time. My job. Do you think it works, Jim? Do you think it works? Because you've, you, it's not the same thing, but. Rock Nation tried something yep. akin to this for a while. It didn't really work for them. I mean, yep. you, for many years, you were part of the best boxing broadcast on television, a boxing broadcast that was very buttoned up in a way. What do you think of kind of going in the other direction with what Triller's doing? I am a subset of the overall Triller universe. And my subset is to be a legitimate fight caller on legitimate fights. That's the way I see it. That's what I'm going to do. I think they see the value of that uh, and that they will do what they can to enhance it. And by the way, you know, why did Triller make me an offer? Um, my understanding is that Snoop Dogg is uh, a partner and, and a player in that overall scene. We're old friends. We have a, a very good relationship going back several years. So I haven't spoken to him. I haven't had any contact with him, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if Snoop was a person who said to uh, Ryan Kavanaugh, hey, this is the move we ought to make uh, because he understands uh, the entertainment business pretty well, I think. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him in Miami, along, of course, with Mario Lopez. Uh, uh, Mario Lopez has an entertainment base from all of his years doing generalized programming in Hollywood, but he's a boxer. He's been in the gym with some pretty... Uh, top teller, uh, intelligent fighters. He's sparred with Oscar De La Hoya. So uh, there's a lot of legitimacy in Mario being on the telecast. He's not, not just there as the very pretty face that he is. Uh, so I'm looking forward to associating with, with those people. Uh, and I'm looking forward to calling this fight with um, Sean Porter because I've seen Sean Porter on other networks. I've listened to him and I think that he is a uh, potential, very meaningful new voice in the sport. So you go from calling one, two fights a month for decades to a couple of years where you're not calling fights. How big an adjustment was that? Well, I, you know, I have other things to do and, and I have a, a large family with uh, a lot of meaningful and accomplished people in it. Uh, I've traveled a lot. I, uh, as you know, I'm now living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and teaching a course that I created for the Department of Communications here at my alma mater. The course is a very serious enterprise. It's called Evolution of Storytelling in American Electronic News Media. Uh, so it's about news reporting and news storytelling, not, you know, some people think I'm teaching a history of sports television or a how to be a sportscaster type course. That's not what I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing a course about um, the way news stories are developed, uh, positioned, transmitted for broadcast and how they land 
with the audience and the chairwoman of the department, a wonderful woman named Pat Parker asked me before she agreed to allow me to teach the course, she said, what do you wanna see happen in the classroom? And I said, well, if I do it right and the students buy in, by about two thirds to three quarters of the way through the semester, we should be having a very interesting and vigorous debate about the subject of conventional truth. Uh, the, the sort of gentleman's agreement among people in American society that we can agree on what the truth is. Where did it go? How do we retrieve it? What are the implications for our democracy if we can't get it back? That's really what I'm here to try to talk about. And um, you know that may seem like an extremely ambitious enterprise uh, for somebody who spent most of his life covering sports events, but if it weren't ambitious, I wouldn't want to be doing it. So uh, that's a challenging load of work to take on. I have 50 students this fall. Uh, I had 25 back in the spring when I uh, first taught it. Uh, so we, we've come along and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how well I can handle 50 students when on several occasions, I expect to be taking off on Thursday and going to uh, call a boxing match. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. Never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. Plus, for those who want to deposit, FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Why do you play on FanDuel? FanDuel Fantasy is an easy-to-use app. Pick a new team every game. Different and unique contests across sports in relation to your skill level. Compete against your friends in head-to-head -head matchups. FanDuel is offering users the chance to play free, no deposit required, with a free entry to an NBA contest. And FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Go to FanDuel.com forward slash Cowherd to sign up today. That is FanDuel.com forward slash Cowherd so they know we sent you. FanDuel, more ways to win. So, you're a sports fan. That's why you're listening, baby. But if you're considering getting in on the fun of sports gambling, I want to let you know about a great resource, the Action Network. And I'm all over it like Revis Island. I have nothing but great things to say about it. The Action Network is where fans go when they're ready to bet smarter and turn a profit betting on sports. In fact, their free Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. With the Action app, you can see the latest picks and articles from Action Network gambling experts, as well as personalities like Colin Cowherd, compare odds from different sports books, and track every bet you make so you always know how your picks are doing. So... If the game means more to you, download the free Action Network app and start betting smarter. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs... Yeah, like check out these hair. Pl- I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So we... We were privileged with your commentary for many years, and you you often weighed in on the state of boxing, whether it was through the broadcast or your own show on HBO. As you look at the way boxing has continued to evolve over the last few years, what do you think of it? I mean, it's kind of a broad question, but the state of boxing right now, where do you think it is? It's a troubled sport, Uh, and it has been a troubled sport for 120 years. Because it's a uniquely entrepreneurial sport. I mean, MMA comes along, but MMA is not as entrepreneurial as boxing because they have stronger, more unified governing organizations, which dictate more or less to the fighters whom they're going to fight and when they're going to fight them. That has never been the case in boxing. In boxing, business takes place organically according to the personalities who are doing the business, according to the pressures that are created by competition, according to where the money is, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't, you can, you can wish in your heart that you're going to see Tyson Fury uh, against Anthony Joshua, but you can't be sure that it's going to happen. You have to wait and see. And by the way, that was true of Jack Dempsey and Gene Tunney too. Uh, It's been the case for a long, long time that this is a sport that to some degree has trouble getting out of its own way. That's part of the story. That's, that's one of the stories you focus on and continue to tell when you sit at ringside. And, and by doing it in an honest way, you help the viewer to appreciate, understand, and treasure those moments when the big fight does through some magical set of circumstances come together. And we get to see Gennady Golovkin 
fight Canelo Alvarez twice and, and hope and wish that it can happen a third time. That's a lot of what the sport is all about. It's frustrating. It's sometimes uh, depressing. It's, it's a little bit like a marriage in that way. And, and it's very much like a marriage in the sense that boxing fans can't get boxing out of their system. Larry Merchant's great line, boxing, can't fix it, can't kill it. Very true. Remains true uh, to this day. Um, exhibition fights, they've always been a part of boxing, whether it was Ali and Anoki and Butterbean was on numerous broadcasts over the years. But it's it sort of evolved into a new way in the last couple of years where they've become, and I, I said this last week, almost the new autograph signing where guys are just basically trying to capitalize on their brand to make some money in low-risk environments. We had Mayweather against Logan Paul this past week. I don't know if you watched it or if you have an opinion on it, but what do you think of how they seem to be now a staple uh, as part of the boxing fabric? A, uh, a very intelligent faculty member here in Chapel Hill asked me the day after the Mayweather-Logan Paul fight, uh, do you think that social media are going to destroy boxing? And I said, look, the question to me is, are social media going to destroy civilization? Uh, and I, I have not seen a more pernicious force in our society ever in my lifetime than social media, their effect on politics, uh, their effect on uh, social relations, their effect on ethnic divisions. I, I could go on and on and on. And to me, it's all negative. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that social media are like boxing. Can't fix it, can't kill it. Uh, so I, I do expect to see more of those exhibitions. Uh, I will fight kicking and screaming despite any contractual obligation not to be involved and not to be ringside at one of those fights. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that and I don't know what to say about it. it I don't even think of it as boxing uh, because in real boxing, Floyd Mayweather goes into the ring and tries to prove once again how uniquely skillful and great he is. That wasn't what was going on the other night. Uh, that was not a situation or a confrontation in which he could even begin to prove that because the other person was not qualified to compete with him. All of that should probably give you your answer as to whether I watched it. So you say you don't want any part of those exhibitions. In your mind, does that include Oscar De La Hoya coming back against opponent X? I think I would approach every situation individually. And I certainly don't want to dishonor the people who have made a commitment and shown enthusiasm in trying to hire me. Um, but if I wind up calling Oscar De La Hoya against opponent X, I'm certainly not going to be treating it the same way in terms of um, editorialism or content uh, that I treated Oscar in all of his many very meaningful fights in the past. He carried boxing for a long time, along with uh, the heavyweight stars, the same way that Canelo was carrying boxing right now. Uh, there's a tremendous similarity between the position that Canelo now occupies and what Oscar uh, did for boxing through a long segment of his career. And you have to respect that. You have to appreciate that, regardless of how he did it and what he did. 
he took on the responsibility of trying to lift and enlighten our troubled sport. Uh, so, you know, if, if Triller came to me and said, we're going to do this Oscar Delaware exhibition, you are going to be sitting ringside because we made you a deal and we're paying you money, et cetera, et cetera. I think I would probably give it very strong consideration and not put up some kind of stringent, um, unattractive fight. But I'm not going to tell you that this is Oscar Delaware approving his greatness as a fighter. That happened a long time ago. A few things I want to ask you about before I let you go. Um, HBO and the end of it. As you look back on the end of HBO and boxing, is there anything you think they could have done differently to continue on in the sport? Obviously, there has been more money put into the sport than ever before, more networks in the sport than ever before. But were there was you think there was anything HBO could have done to have main, remained a prominent player in boxing? Yes, if, if Time Warner had not been sold to AT&T. Uh, I firmly believe if Time Warner had not been sold to AT&T that there would still be an HBO boxing to this day. Uh, that franchise was extremely meaningful to HBO. You could make the, the case that if you go back and look at the, the, the 80s and what boxing did for HBO in the 80s, it was the primary factor in establishing the identity of the network. That was before Sopranos. Uh, that was before The Wire. That was before all of the drama inventions and other special events that made the network what it was. So um, HBO owed a lot to boxing and boxing owed a lot to HBO. And it's unfortunate that the people at AT&T who bought Time Warner chose not to recognize or appreciate that or uh, decided that that was not significant in the future of the network. I think if they hadn't bought it, it would still be there. When you were told boxing was coming to an end, what was your reaction? Sad, uh, you know, sad for, sad for all my coworkers. You know, that's 60, 70 people who are losing very important uh, weekend assignments in their, their work schedule. That, that was the single thing that troubled me most about it was all of them. You're working with some of them right now, Chris. I mean, you know them, you see them shoulder to shoulder and they are <clears throat> great people. Um, so that was the first thing that, that made me sad. Sad because, um, you know, and I, I leave myself out of this picture necessarily, but there was a majesty about the telecast. There was, um, there was a, uh, an elevated editorial level. I think Larry Merchant was uh, very significant in that. I think uh, you watched truly great expert commentators emerge. Emmanuel Stewart, George Foreman, uh, Roy Jones, they all made different and separate contributions, but they were unique and they were fabulous. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think losing all that was a, uh, a great loss for the sport. And every fighter I've run into since that moment has acknowledged that and, and said the same thing. We miss you. We miss HBO. We wish you were back, et cetera, et cetera. They know how positive that mutual relationship was. Yeah, I've had the uh, good experience of working with a lot of people that were once with HBO. Behind the scenes people specifically, you know, Tammy in the ring who is well, you bulldog, mentioned you mentioned you, you mentioned the name that's on my mind, you know, because it, the public has never heard of Tammy Cotel. 
other than, you know, a couple of times when Larry and I might have mentioned her on the air. But if you were a star fighter during the 80s or 90s or the aughts into the teens, HBO to you meant Tammy Kotel coming to your dressing room, telling you what time you were going to be coming to the ring, seeing to it that the officials were providing the necessary information to the fighters, et cetera, et cetera, arranging the post-fight interview physically uh, and in terms of the the, the number of things that Tammy Cotel did, it's an endless list. And I know that she's doing them for you at the zone right now. And thank heaven your people were smart enough to start with that. Yeah, it's like that uh that phrase, lead the horse to water. Like in this context, I'm the horse and she's leading me to the to the water to well, do these interviews because she's she she she's, she's truly fantastic. And again, when when you say HBO to Oscar De La Hoya or Mike Tyson or Riddick Bowe or any of the star fighters from that era, their first thought is Tammy Kotel. Agreed. Um, Manny Pacquiao returning in August. You called many, if not most, of his fights since he turned, uh, not professional, but I guess he came stateside and became a world champion. Since um, he took on Lejanolo Ledwaba in 2001 yes. <laughs> on a night when the Larry way. and I both thought, okay, this is an easy showcase for Ledwaba, who had blown our minds in South Africa on the undercard of Lewis versus Riddick Bowe, and, and Manny annihilated him. And, and we, were, we were shocked sitting there saying, oh my God, who is this? Uh, and he was a force of nature. He was, he was a unique force of nature at that time. How surprised are you that he's still going at age 42 and that at age 42, he is preparing to take on arguably the top guy in the 147 pound division. I'm not surprised at all. Um, one of the biggest things that sets truly great fighters apart uh, is their irrational belief in themselves, that they would never have been the person that they became if they were not irrationally committed to the notion that they are great, that they are unstoppable, that they can beat anyone that they face. And Manny has never been short of that in any way, shape, or form. He has an unbelievably large self-image, uh, and you're not going to convince him with any rational argument that there's anything foolish about what he's doing because he thinks he's going to go in and blow Errol Spence away and annihilate him with the, the brilliance and the dynamism and the power of being Manny Pacquiao. It's not what I expect. It's not what most rational ringside observers expect, but I guarantee you that's what Manny believes. And last question for you. Everybody in boxing has a favorite Jim Lampley call, at least at the end of fights. I'm partial to the end of Foreman against Moore. Look at that competitive spirit coming out now. Great right hand landing for Foreman. He's had a pretty good round here at number 10. Again, Atlas didn't count the Atlas. Here we go again with the Atlas. Uh, Michael Moore is down. Down goes Moore on a right hand. An unbelievably close in right hand shot. What was your favorite end-of-fight call? Well, um, it's a long story as to why that one is the favorite. Uh, and, and the climax to the long story is that Joe Cortez is counting, and he's at five, he's at six. And 
I can easily see that he's going to get to 10. And in my mind, I'm saying, Jesus, why didn't I anticipate this? Why didn't I stay up late last night thinking of what I would say at this particular moment? Why didn't I develop an iconic line for this iconic moment? Oh, my God, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble here. And, and what occurred to me was that through months leading up to that fight, of course, George was working with me at ringside and get a lot of free time at ringside. You're sitting and chatting with each other. And over and over and over, we had the same conversation. I would say, George, how are you even going to find Moore? You know, he's a southpaw. He's a mover. He comes at you from different angles. Holyfield had trouble finding him. Vander has much better feet than you have. Uh, I don't understand how you see this as being a competitive chance for you. And over and over and over, George would smile at me and say, Jim, you wait. Sometime late in the fight, he's going to come and stand in front of me and let me knock him out. That phrase is unforgettable. Not, I'm going to knock him out. He's going to let me knock him out. And if you look at it on video, tell me that isn't exactly what happened. Moore came and stood in front of him and let George knock him out. And that's why I said it happened. It happened because George had told me that over and over and over. Now, some people like Mike Tyson has been knocked out. And I do like the brevity and the, uh, the sort of uh, absence of theatrics in Mike Tyson has been knocked out. But it's not as emotionally important to me because of my relationship with George as it happened. It happened. It's uh, it's interesting you say you wish you had prepared something for that moment because, I mean, it, I feel like it's better that you don't. Like, that was such an oh, no, no. It's, iconic it's, moment. I, I would say this, Jim. Like, anybody – and I have a fraction of the experience at this than you do, but the anybody that's ever watched me as a boxing broadcaster, my best – my worst moment was right when Anthony Joshua knocked down Andy Ruiz – and I had prepared for that moment. Two minutes hey, to go in this right. round. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. And then he turns around and gets knocked down and knocks out by Andy Ruiz. So, like, it's almost better you don't prepare, isn't it? Oh, of course. And, and I got incredibly lucky uh, the night of Foreman Moore. And part of the incredible luck was that it, I didn't prepare. And, and therefore, I said the most natural and meaningful thing I could possibly have said, it's funny what you say about the Ruiz thing. A lot of people, um, particularly Delaware fans, uh, have a preference for my call at the end of Delaware versus Fernando Vargas. And as Delaware is going after Vargas, and you can see that he's going to, at some point, land that finishing left hook. And I do this sort of over-emotional, long soliloquy, if he could just get this one win, if he could knock this guy out, if he could shut his mouth for all of the stuff that Vargas has said about him, et cetera, et cetera. And it times out perfectly, okay? Because I'm finishing that soliloquy at the moment when Oscar erases him uh, with the left hook. And a lot of people come to me and say, oh my gosh, I've played it over and over and over. Uh, and I love it so much. I hate it. I hate it because it's, it's, way too over-emotional because it demonstrates a certain preference I might have had for uh, Oscar in that moment, although Fernando is one of my greatest friends in the sport. Uh, I, I just think that there are a lot of things, it, it's, it's me trying too hard. 
to, to say something meaningful and dramatic. So I can't listen to that one anymore. But quite a number of people have come to me and said, oh, that's my favorite call. Nothing else can touch that. No, I, I disagree. Nothing else can touch. Mike Tyson has been knocked out. And it happened. It happened. No question. Many, many good calls for you, Jim. Hopefully many more to come with this new Triller deal. First fight back June 19th, Teofimo Lopez, George Cambosis. Jim, it's been too long, man. Glad to see you back in action. Looking forward to hearing you uh, on fight night. Thank you, Chris. And I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. All right. My thanks to Jim Lampley, the Boxing Hall of Famer. My thanks to you for listening this week. We'll see you next time. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.